Hey, good morning, gang. Uh, welcome to our Tuesday morning devotion. On behalf of uh, Christ Hold Fast, I am here to lead you through our continued study in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 today, and I think we're going to, or at least attempt to, get through the whole chapter. Now, uh, if you've been following along with this study in 2 Corinthians, then uh, you know that we sort of, well, switched things around a little bit because I made a mistake and forgot the order of things. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, we went over 2 Corinthians 8, and uh, there we saw Paul uh, really calling for the Corinthian church to uh, give generously and in abundance for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that were struggling and impoverished. And, uh, and he continues that discussion in our text today. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 9, and, and I think when we get to this, you'll see how, just how practical uh, church life is. And here's what I mean. I mean, the reality is, we, we all know, I think, that the church is uh, supported by the gifts of others. It is not something that can fund itself. It's a nonprofit. And so it depends on people uh, from all over the place, uh, but mostly locally, uh, most of the time to give. And if the church has enough, then they can then send some of those gifts out to help others and to support worldwide mission. That kind of thing happens all the time. Well, that's really what's going on here as we enter into this chapter. Paul is continuing his discussion. He says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. The ministry for the saints there is about the need for the saints, the service to the saints that will be your gift. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's where Corinth was located, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now, here's the situation. The Corinthian church, uh, Paul earlier in chapter 8, uh, has just been told that the church in Macedonia that was poor themselves had given just a tremendous love offering towards the church in Jerusalem. Far more than Paul ever expected to receive. And so one of the ways that he inspired them is by telling them of this promised gift that the church in Corinth was going to give to Jerusalem. And upon hearing this promise, the church in Macedonia then gave even more. Well, there's a problem with that. And that is, even though they had promised, it seems that they're struggling. They're struggling to hold up to their end of the commitment they had made. So Paul says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to, go on, to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. If I can just translate this for you, uh, Paul is sending people ahead of schedule 
to the Corinthian church to help them prepare their gift because he's afraid that he might just show up in Corinth and they won't have the gift and then it will look to the people in Macedonia like uh, the church in Corinth was lying or falsely boasting about what they could do. And yet Paul doesn't want them to feel like this is some, as he says here, he uses the word, an exaction. He doesn't want them to feel like they have to do this. Uh, New Testament giving is not a have to. Uh, it is a get to. And there is no penalty for the church if they don't give a certain amount of money. And by the way, that principle still holds true today. Uh, we do not demand in the church that anybody has to give anything. Uh, it is something that one gets to participate in. It is not something in the new covenant that you have to participate in. It is to be seen as an opportunity to be a part of God's work in this world and for the good of his church. So Paul wants to, he uses this kind of language all the time throughout this passage. In 2 Corinthians 8, he says, I don't want it to be compulsory. I don't want this to feel like I have to, uh, but you did say you were going to give this and there's churches, there's people that are really depending on you to bring this gift. And so you see the wrestling match. And, and I would say this, if, I mean, for a lot of us pastors that have preached on giving before, and I have plenty of times, um, it's always a little bit of a wrestling match because on the one hand, you want to let people know, you need to let people know the church is depending on your gifts in order to minister and function as it should. On the other hand, you don't ever want people to feel like uh, they're not, you know, as much a part of the church as anybody else if they can't give anything or if they don't give anything. And so it can be a tough subject to address. And I think that's why a lot of churches don't address it uh, very often. Or, of course, on the other hand, you have churches that address it all the time. And I don't think that's healthy either. So I see, uh, by the way, let me take a break to just say good morning to y'all. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Brian. I don't see anybody else right now, but I know that it says there's there's many more people watching than, uh, than I can see the names of. So uh, welcome to you all. So let's move on. Now Paul moves from like a very specific sort of uh, injunction to or encouragement to the church in Corinth about making sure they fulfill the commitment they made to give to the church in Jerusalem, to now giving some broader sort of principles about giving just in the way God has structured his creation. And this is what he says in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now notice how Paul sees the act of giving. He sees it like putting a seed into the ground. He sees it like uh, an investment for the future. Now, when the farmer initially throws out that seed, theoretically, he might feel like he's losing something. Indeed, uh, when we give, it may and indeed does at times feel like we're giving up something, we're losing something. But Paul talks about it in terms of investment language. It's something that we throw out knowing that it will bring a return greater than what we threw out. That's the idea. That does not mean that this is a promise for financial prosperity. This does not mean that. And Paul will go on to say what it does mean. 
Let's move on, though, before we get to that. He says, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, uh, the word there in Greek, of course, uh, has similarities to the word uh, hilarious or, you know, extremely joyful um, when, you know, that word cheerful. Uh, We shouldn't take too much from that, though. There's some guys that have said that, you know, giving should be just a great ball of fun. And, well, okay, it doesn't need, we don't need to go too far there. That's not really the way the word was used back then. It really was used uh, to describe somebody that just, the point is, they give out of freedom. They don't give out of compulsion. Again, Paul is, doesn't want, he, he, in other words, he would say, if you're giving because you feel like you have to, don't give. If you're feeling like you, you have to or else, if you, have, if you feel like you're giving in order to keep God happy with you, don't give. But if you're giving because you want to serve your neighbor out of uh, gratitude for the grace that you've been shown by Jesus Christ, as he references back in chapter 8, In verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, uh, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If that is your motive, then Paul wants you to just cheerfully do it. He doesn't want you to feel like it's a have to. Verse 8, and here's a promise again. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What kind of promise comes to the people who give? Not necessarily financial wealth, but that they might abound in every good work. God will use these gifts as a means to uh, increase the work that they can do for others. Verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely, He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Listen to the principle. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, again, what's the increase? The increase is not as the phony preachers will say on TV, big financial prosperity and making sure that you get to drive a Ducati before you die. No, that's not what we're talking about here. It's an increase in the harvest of your righteousness because it's serving your neighbor. Not in your righteousness before God. Remember, that's all settled because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. But in your righteousness on the horizontal level, Remember, there's two planes that we live on. We live in the vertical sphere in which God looks at us as if we've never sinned at all and as if we're perfect because of our being covered in Christ Jesus. But on the horizontal sphere, indeed, we can increase in righteousness in good works to our neighbor. And giving is one of the means by which that can take place. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all of your generosity which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What will it increase in? Thanksgiving to God. As people are supplied for, as the church in Jerusalem is taken care of, it then leads to more praise, which is, I mean, it's one of the big big reasons we're here, folks. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from, I love this language, It flows from 
It doesn't flow to. It doesn't try to earn. It flows from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Again, it's so incumbent upon us that we understand generosity in the Christian life is not motivated by guilt. It is motivated by gratitude. It is meant to be something that we do out of love for neighbor and out of gratitude for God because he has done so much for us. And he continues, uh, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now let me just go ahead and wrap this up. We finished the chapter. We finished reading the text anyway by just bringing it all, all down to uh, brass tacks, if you will. I have never met anybody that has regretted being generous to those in need. I, I, have, I have yet to meet a person who regrets being generous. As a matter of fact, the most free people I know in the Christian life, I mean, the, by far, the most free people I know are people that, that just get joy out of being generous. I don't know what generosity looks like for anybody here. I don't know what that even looks like for the people that I mingle with on a day-to-day -day basis. It, I can't decide that. Paul even says that. He says, each one should decide what to give in their own heart, not under compulsion. But I can promise you this, as Paul does here to the Corinthian church, the more generous you are, the more willing you are to part with uh, the gifts that God has given you for the good of others, the more blessed you will be. If not financially, uh, in other ways, you will experience more freedom because the money and the financial part of it is not what's uh, guiding you. It's not what is enslaving you. It's you're, you're free to use your gifts for the good of your neighbor, and that includes your financial gifts. And again, the motive for all this is not a have to. It is a get to flowing from our confession of the gospel of Christ, the gospel that tells us he has accomplished all for our salvation and for our righteousness before the kingdom of God. All right, gang, that is it for this week. Next week, we'll get into 2 Corinthians 10, in which Paul, well, <laughs> Paul's going to get pretty aggressive against some of the guys that have been trying to undermine his ministry to the Corinthians. And so we'll look forward to being with you then. Until then, have a great week. God bless you.